Chapters three and four of the Turnpike House by Fergus Hume. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter three. Young love, true love. It was Christmas time, many years after the events narrated in the previous chapter, and the snow not only lay thick on the ground, but was falling heavily from a leaden sky. A strong wind which rose with the coming of the night drove through the leafless trees of the park and clashed iron music from among their frozen boughs. Beyond the red brick wall which encircled Holly Oaks Park, the frozen road ran straight to the village of Westham, and the one street of that hamlet was crowded with people returning homeward laden with purchases for the next day. But if it was wintry out of doors, within the mansion of Mr. Cass all was colour and warmth and tropical leafage the merchant's mother had been in andalusian and perhaps some far-off strain of moorish blood had constrained her son to build his house on moorish lines when mr cass some twenty years ago had bought hollyoaks from the decayed county family who then owned it the manor-house had been but lately destroyed by fire the purchaser found a pleasant country a beautiful park but no place where he and his family could lay their heads so he proceeded to erect what the countryside called cass's folly a true moorish dwelling-place such as one finds in seville and cordova a series of low buildings clustered round a central court or as it would be called in spain a patio this in deference to the english climate had been roofed in with glass and turned into a winter garden the roof was protected against the elements by a close iron framework which was yet sufficiently open to admit the light but it is rarely that the sun shines with full strength in the midlands so it happened that this garden was usually pervaded by a fascinating twilight this large space was filled with tropical foliage palms rose tall and stately from an undergrowth of oddly shaped plants with serpentine and hairy foliage interspersed with brilliant flowers what with the diapered pavement the white marble pillars of the corridor and all this tropical fecundity the spectacle was brilliant and strange to english eyes this striking interior however made a special appeal to the emotions of the tall slim young man who was seated in a lounging-chair beside the pool he had arrived from london only two hours before after an uncomfortable journey in the cold he remembered his last christmas spent at hollyoaks when he had arrived much about the same time and had been greeted with the same splendour then he had been a stranger now he was well known to the cass family best of all to the youngest daughter of the house but where was she now why was she not here to greet him his colour came and went now as he thought of the girl he was about to meet the girl who was all the world to him he tugged nervously at his small golden moustache and his blue eyes blinked at the dazzling colours of the flowers but there was something about the boy for he was no more than twenty-three which brought conviction that his spirit was more manly than his looks would have one believe his air was resolute his figure though slim was athletic yet withal he was nervous and emotional in the extreme and after all this was how it should be for neil webster's fame as a violinist of rare promise was well known already he had made a name for himself both in england and america with such a temperament it was not wonderful that he should love ruth cass who was also of a highly sensitive nature neil thought of her now with an intensity inspired by the memory of the joy she had been to his appreciative eye when last christmas he had seen her for the first time as the young man sat there wrinkling his brows in the effort to recall completely the memory of ruth's first appearance a side door opened and she herself appeared 
with light steps she stole forward and laying her gloved hands upon his eyes she laughed out of sheer joy who is it she asked gaily i give you three guesses neil turned took her hands and kissed them as if i needed more than one he said with a light reproach i should not be a true lover did i not guess your presence even without seeing you yet you didn't you didn't sang the girl i came upon you unawares but i knew you were coming for i felt it in my heart come let me look at my rose of sharon it is six long weary weeks since i saw you she made a little curtsey and then stood demurely before him to a stranger she would have been almost as great a surprise as the house itself and she was in keeping with it the beautiful andalusian marquise of de musset's ballad come to life in foggy england the quaker name of ruth suited ill with that rich southern beauty had she been called cleopatra that royal name would have well matched her appearance although but twenty years of age she was already in the full bloom of womanly loveliness of no great height she possessed one of those perfect figures seen only in spain she walked with the swaying graceful gait of the andalusian woman an olive skin large liquid eyes of midnight blackness lips scarlet as a pomegranate blossom full and a trifle voluptuous as became a daughter of the south ruth was arrayed in a ravishing dinner-dress of black and gold which suited her swarthy beauty in the coils of her blue-black hair she wore sparkling diamonds the same stones blazed on neck and wrist and in this splendour she seemed to the excited eyes of her lover like some gorgeous tropical flower blossoming beneath ardent skies come now she said sinking into a chair we have just a few minutes before the others come in and they are not to be passed in silence who are the others neil asked taking a chair beside her she waved a fan of black and yellow feathers from which true daughter of spain as she was she would not part even in winter oh all the people you have met before she said smoothing her dainty gloves my father jenny braun my uncle and aunt and geoffrey heron as she pronounced the last name ruth stole a laughing glance at her lover and as she had expected a shadow came over his face and his colour went and came like that of a startled girl oh he is here was his comment he is a very good sort of fellow too good for your taste monsieur othello laughed miss cass tapping his flushed cheek with her fan i see how it is you think he is a rival i don't think it i know it ruth well with a coquettish toss of her head perhaps he is but you think moreover that i admire him i do as one might admire a picture he is good-looking and very nice i can't contradict you interrupted the young man but she resumed smoothly he is not clever he is not musical and he is not the most jealous man in the world meaning me i suppose of course who else should i mean come i won't have your forehead wrinkled she brushed the lines away with her fan smile neil smile or i won't speak to you all night he could not withstand her charming humour and he did smile but in spite of all he shook his head ruefully it's all very well making a joke of it he said i know you love me as i love you but your father he knows nothing of our attachment my father pooh i can twist him round my finger i am not so sure of that remember i have known him many years he can be hard when he likes and in this case he will be hard 
he is rich has a position while i while you are neil webster the great violinist oh that is all right he said dismissing his artistic fame with a nod but i mean i do not know who my parents are i never heard of them perhaps like topsy you growed ruth said for she attached no importance to his speech dear what does it matter a great deal to a proud man like your father yet he may know my parents since he brought me up i'll ask him papa brought you up neil i never knew that i thought he met you at some house in london and asked you here because he is so fond of music the young man frowned and tugged at his moustache his colour changed i should not have told you he said in a low voice but my tongue runs away with me we have often talked of my early life let me see said miss cass gravely mischievous i think you did say something about having been brought up in the south of england at bognor he explained an old woman mrs gent looked after me there when it became apparent that i had musical talent your father had me taught on the continent i appeared first in america where i was trained under durand the great violinist i made a success and returned to london then then he brought you down here a year ago and in six months we fell in love with one another and i loved you from the first he cried how rash remarked the girl pursing her mouth demurely but we will say nothing about that we love now that is sufficient but tell me how it was my father first came on the scene of your life i know much that you have told me but my father that is something new i can remember him ever since i was a young child from the age of ten. Oh, then he did not come to you before that webster paused then turning towards her made an extraordinary speech i don't know i can't recollect my life before that oh dear me cried miss cass not quite taking in the meaning of his words what a stupid child you must have been why i recollect all sorts of things which happened when i was five i don't mean that exactly said webster but my first recollection is my recovery from a long illness and all my memories date from that time what came before where i was born were brought up is a blank what did mrs gent tell you cried the girl now anxious to solve the mystery she told me i was born in america somewhere near new york that my father had played in an orchestra and that my mother had been a singer i fell ill somewhere about my tenth year and since then i have seen your father frequently but i have never questioned him closely however i will speak to him to-morrow and at the same time i will tell him that i love you then he will consent to our engagement miss cass said promptly i wonder again neil drew his hand across his face it does not seem a satisfactory past i always feel there is some mystery about it mystery what nonsense cried ruth with pretty disbelief i am certain that what mrs gent has told you is true and the illness made you forget your childish days my father has been good to you for reasons which he will no doubt tell me and since he has always helped you and has so to speak been a father to you he will not forbid our marriage why did you not tell me all this before webster looked puzzled i hardly know he murmured something always kept me silent and i talked as you remember more about my career as an artist than anything else but you never said that my father paid for your studies persisted ruth no that is quite true 
but i kept silent on that point because he asked me to he is a man who likes to do good by stealth but he did not ask me to be silent on any other point so i might have told you all that i have said to-night long ago i tell you now about your father in spite of his prohibition as i want you to know everything concerning me should we be fortunate enough to gain his consent i don't want you to remain in ignorance of his kindness but shall we ever marry he sighed of course we shall said ruth imperiously i have made up my mind ah but your father has not made up his ruth he seized her hands do you really love me if you do not don't get excited neil if i did not love you i should tell you so but i do love you how dearly you will never know but it may be my music you love he urged conceited boy laughed miss cass of course i love your music but i love you for yourself as well speak to my father we will not keep our engagement secret any longer i feel that we should not have kept it secret at all murmured the young man after your father's kindness to me i feel somewhat of a traitor you can lay the blame on me announced the girl calmly i wished it to be kept quiet on account of aunt inez you know what she is a jealous woman always putting her finger into every one's pie i'm sure she has quite enough to do in looking after her own husband he is a wicked gay old man is uncle marshall i don't think mrs marshall likes me that is why i kept our secret she does not like you why i do not know and had she discovered our engagement she would have told my father and put an end to it long ago well perhaps mr cass will put an end to it even now ruth looked round to see that no one was about and then dropped a butterfly kiss on his forehead darling nothing shall part us i love you and you only you foolish fellow and are you sure quite sure you care nothing about heron no no of course i don't but i will if you insist on putting your arm round my waist gracious here is aunt inez and at this moment an elderly double of ruth sailed into the winter garden chapter four a strange episode mrs marshall had reached the mature age of forty-five but she was still beautiful dark women with hard natures always wear well and ruth's aunt was no exception to the rule she need not be described here for she resembled her niece in all particulars save those of youth and the exuberant spirits which rendered the younger woman so charming tall and dignified in her black velvet dress she advanced to greet neil and her greeting was that of the ice queen you must have had an unpleasant journey she said in freezing tones thank you said webster with a certain reserve i had not a very pleasant time but this makes amends and his eyes wandered to ruth mrs marshall drew her thick eyebrows together for she had long suspected that the two young people were more to each other than ordinary friends but at that moment ruth was equal to the occasion her attitude towards neil was one of genial hospitality neither of the young people attempted to carry on the conversation and mrs marshall was somewhat at a loss turning at last to ruth she asked sharply where the remainder of the guests were dinner will be ready in a quarter of an hour she went on consulting a jewelled watch that hung at her girdle i hope we shall sit down punctually for i detest waiting so do i assented her niece cheerfully i am hungry 
the elder lady took no notice of the flippant reply have you been giving any concerts lately she asked with the supercilious patronage of a rich society woman no madam replied the young man his frequent contact with foreign artists had accustomed him to this form of address the season in london is hardly propitious just now i am resting when do you begin again after the new year it is possible i may give some concerts in paris it might be advisable for you to leave england for a time the lady said dryly looking at ruth my aunt is thinking of your delicate appearance mr webster interposed the girl trying to parry the stroke this foggy climate does not suit you in her opinion is that not so aunt inez well it is not quite what i meant ruth and she turned to neil have you any relatives in england mr webster she asked the suddenness of the question took away the young man's breath it was evident that her brother had not confided in mrs marshall i have no relatives in the world madam he said you remind me of some one she went on fixing her black eyes on him somewhat fiercely do you sing not at all he answered wondering more than ever at the oddity of this second question i have no voice huh muttered the lady and turned away i must be mistaken you are certainly mistaken madam in crediting me with any relatives i am an orphan a waif a stranger in the land and a great violinist finished ruth glancing defiantly at her aunt that surely ought to cover all deficiencies mr webster no doubt it does to musical people said the elder lady coldly the young man felt nettled and more puzzled than ever at her manner and he was about to ask a leading question when miss jenny brawn accompanied by mr heron entered oh here you are cried ruth including both in one gay greeting you are late the sacred mysteries of the toilet have taken up miss brawn's time laughed heron looking mischievously at the homely face of the girl beside him one must do honour to the season replied jenny she was dumpy and sandy and wore a pince-nez on her turned-up nose how are you master for she always spoke to neil webster in that style i am glad to see you your lovely and exquisite music never fails to inspire my muse put into plain prose this speech meant that miss brawn wrote poems for drawing-room ballad composers and that she trusted to music for inspiration miss brawn further occupied herself with writing short stories for children's christmas books and she figured in a popular magazine as aunt dilly she had come to regard herself as a literary personage i hope i may be able to inspire you to some purpose to-night webster said quietly young heron turned away in disdain he was a handsome country squire possessed of no nerves and no artistic cravings he came of an old family and had an income of four thousand a year his time was spent in hunting polo shooting fishing and tearing round the country in a motor-car and he had not much opinion of the fiddler fellow as he called webster but this was due to the fact that he had noticed ruth's predilection for him not to any fault in the man himself for geoffrey loved the girl he treated webster with a coldness almost equal to that of mrs marshall that lady was his firm friend and was most anxious that he should marry her niece seeing now his look of disdain she was about to speak when a cheerful voice was heard above the others oh here is my husband mrs marshall cried her dark face lighting up i was wondering where he had got to 
i am here my dear inez here and a brisk stout man darted forward ruth my dear you look charming miss brawn allow me to congratulate you upon your toilet mr webster good evening his manner was colder but with renewed geniality he shook hands with geoffrey heron aha my boy a merry christmas to you the voluble active little man rattled on cutting jokes laughing at his own wit and paying compliments all round while his tall dark wife stood near him listening with a smile on her face why mrs marshall should love her husband so much remained ever a mystery to her friends for he was a fat beer-barrel of a creature and possessed neither the looks nor the brains which would be likely to attract as refined and clever a woman as his wife undoubtedly was yet inez adored him although mr robert marshall was an elderly don juan fond of the society of pretty girls and he prided himself no little on his conquests there was undoubtedly some charm about him which raptured the hearts of women and mrs marshall as the lawful proprietor of this universal heartbreaker took a pride in her proprietorship i hope you will give us some music to-night mr marshall said turning to the musician and again his manner was freezing your playing is delightful delightful i am glad you like it neil said quietly of course i am always ready to play here although as a rule i never do so in private houses ha huh. the exclusiveness of a musician or the dignity of an artist uncle robert quite so my dear said uncle robert turning towards his niece but of course mr webster will not wrap his talents up in a napkin here the master is always willing to oblige his friends put in jenny his friends are much honoured added aunt inez with an iron smile mr heron made no remark in shaking hands with webster he had done his duty in his own heart the young squire wished the fellow well out of the way for ruth looked at him too often and much too kindly a diversion was made at this moment by the entrance of the host a tall slightly made man dark and solemn a typical spaniard both in complexion and bearing to-night he was in a genial mood and unbent more than usual nevertheless although he shook hands with neil he was decidedly colder to him than to the rest of his guests indeed it was apparent that neil was not a favourite a merry christmas to all mr cass said bowing perhaps i am rather premature still it is better to be early than late so long as you adopt that plan with your presence papa i shall not quarrel with you you see what a bold daughter i have he remarked to heron how would you like to be her father no not at all not at all replied the young man with a very significant glance in the direction of ruth a glance which made neil's blood boil ha ha cackled marshall we know all about that heron and he slapped him on the back but come dinner dinner and indeed at that moment dinner was announced mr cass gave his arm to his sister and to his delight geoffrey found himself seated beside ruth poor neil had mrs marshall for his companion neither of the two relished their juxtaposition jenny and don juan in his dotage were happy in the congenial company of each other and kept the table merry the conversation only flickered feebly with mr marshall's aimless merriment neil annoyed by the coldness of his reception was considering the advisability of a return to town the next day he thought he recognized mrs marshall's hand in the chilly reception of mr cass 
for hitherto the merchant had treated him with uniform kindness and he was puzzled by this new departure when the ladies had retired to the winter garden mr cass was more amiable to his guest the violinist and the young man anxious to please did his best to make himself agreeable heron and marshall were discussing county affairs so the merchant and young webster had a quiet talk i am making a good deal of money now neil said he was recounting his artistic triumphs in a few years i shall be a wealthy man you must let me invest your capital for you you artistic folks know little about business i should be more than grateful if you would i dare say in time there will be enough for me to marry on mr cass looked keenly at the speaker from under his thick black brows are you thinking of marrying he asked carelessly then without waiting for an answer i would not if i were you why not i am young strong and nervous finished his host abruptly i have peculiar views about marriage and i do not think you are fitted for it take my advice and keep single come he started to his feet before the other could reply let us join the ladies webster was annoyed he had fully intended then and there since the opportunity seemed to offer itself to ask mr cass for his daughter's hand plunged in meditation he did not see that the object of it was beckoning to him with her very useful fan and heron taking advantage of his absorption secured the vacant seat before he could recover himself mr cass appeared to carry him off to the drawing-room you must play to me he said miss brawn will accompany you she plays well jenny did indeed play more like a professional than an amateur and webster anxious as ever to please got his violin the sounds of the exquisite music which he drew from the wailing strings brought every one to the drawing-room then geoffrey heron sang and sang well he chose a typical drawing-room ballad flat and insipid the music of a lilting order suited the words miss jenny brawn's which were full of mawkish sentiment the song was not yet finished when mr marshall suddenly rose and hurriedly left the room his wife looked after him with an uneasy smile and shortly afterwards followed to find him in the winter garden what is the matter she asked sharply though she knew quite well what it was that had stirred him jenner stammered her husband lifting up a white face heron's voice reminds me of his i have never heard him sing before nor will you again if you make such a fool of yourself what do you mean by rushing out of the room and provoking remark jenner is dead and buried these twelve years yes but think how he died moaned her husband and i was so intimate with him you were to your shame and disgrace don't behave so foolishly robert i don't know what put him into your head in the first place heron's voice is so like his and the looks of webster mrs marshall turned as pale as her swarthy skin permitted and the fan in her hand shook what about him she asked he is like i know who he is like she interrupted sharply a mere chance resemblance come back with me i am going to bed was the only response and turning abruptly mr marshall fled up the stairs leaving his wife gazing after him with a black frown on her face i wonder if that young man but no it's impossible sebastian she spoke of her brother would not go so far 
and after composing herself with a glass of water she returned to the drawing-room by this time webster was seated beside ruth who was shewing him a book of photographs geoffrey heron was talking to mr cass and casting glances at the two young people who were getting on much too well for his liking suddenly the whole room was startled by a cry it came from neil who with a white face was staring at a photograph what's the matter asked his host hurrying towards him are you ill who who is this stammered young webster pointing to the portrait of a thick-set man who figured in a group an old clerk of mine replied mr cass trying hard to steady his voice that is a photograph of the clerks in my office some twenty years ago why should that face disturb you i-i don't know was the stammering reply have i seen him in a dream his face is quite familiar to me pooh nonsense mr cass had by this time recovered his self-command the man died long ago you never saw him but i have seen him persisted neil i have seen him in a dream and his voice leaped an octave i hate him he exclaimed with passion i hate him they all stared in amazement suddenly ruth cried neil you are ill you stop cried her father sharply he has fainted and as he spoke neil fell back insensible on the cushions End of chapters three and four